Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Cretans, Cretans. The Cretan himself. And happy to be here. <laughs> uh, it always is fun. If it wasn't so so much fun, I don't think we would have done this for the last 10 th- years. 13 years? <laughs> uh, 12 years? Yeah, oh, please. How else have you been funding your brewery? <laughs> right, right. This is, this is, <laughs> this is the cash cow. I, I got to keep doing this. It's like, uh, yeah. you know. It's like turning tricks on the corner. You have to do it. You want to. But I do have to say that I'm always gratified when people come up to us at conferences and so on and and thank us for doing the show. I, you know, that is very gratifying. Um, We enjoy doing it, and I'm I'm glad that uh, you all out there enjoy listening to it. Yeah, when people say they, you know, they they find value in it, you know, whether it's just humor or you know, brewing information or what have you. that's really nice. I I appreciate that too. It, I would say that's the reason that we keep going is because yeah, uh, yeah. it seems to to matter to to people, and uh, they seem to really get value out of it. Otherwise, eh, it's nothing without the listeners. So, right, very much appreciated. It's also very much appreciated that uh, uh, Mr. John Blickman pays for the the show. So all those people being gratified and satisfied are. Uh, not having to pay for it. Uh, I don't know if you you're all familiar with Blickman Engineering. You should be because they make uh, some of the best uh, brewing equipment uh, anywhere, bar none. Any manufacturer anywhere in the world, they make, uh, if not the best, absolutely most of the best. Uh, you should check them out. BlickmanEngineering.com. they got a website. They usually post a lot of interesting things there. You know, if you have said to yourself in the past, oh, Blickman Engineering, that's really nice stuff, but it's a little, you know, too too high for my budget, you know, that I'm allowed to, to spend on brewing equipment. Well, you could check out uh, their Anvil series of, yeah. of equipment. AnvilBrewing.com. AnvilBrewing.com. And there's, you know, same Blickman quality, but, you know, a little, a little uh, more... Um, uh, maybe some less features, not not as feature full, uh, but still great brewing equipment uh, and a much more uh, uh, economical price, price yeah. right? Uh, to get you started with high quality equipment, equipment that'll last you forever, equipment that you can pass on to somebody else if you change your equipment out. Uh, you know the the worst expense in brewing is when you buy something cheap just to get started, and then you know it's. You find out it's junk, and it doesn't. You know, you it gotta, sits on the shelf after right. that. Yeah, you get rust or you know issues like that, and then you know it's it's just crap. You're throwing away money. It's better to spend a little, a few bucks more, and get get quality. Always buy quality in this stuff because 
you know, once you, once you get the brewing bug, you tend to do it for eh, the, pretty much the rest of your life. Yep. Um, I know. I know. I'll be a home brewer for the rest of my life. Um, <clears throat> so check them out, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, if you get a chance, send them an email, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com, and tell the, uh, John how much you appreciate uh, that he pays for the show and that he, he's a big part of the, the brewing industry. They've got everything from, uh, like I said, uh, entry level to professional level equipment for, uh, you know, uh, people going uh, commercial even. So check it all out. they got something for that uh, you could use uh, to brew your beer. All right, so we've been doing this series of shows on uh, barrel, working with barrels. Right. You know, buying them, f- filling them, fixing them. Uh, and Talking about wood. Talking about wood. Uh, all kinds of wood, hardwood, softwood, um, bungs, where you put your, your bungs. Um <clears throat> And so we're wrapping up uh, with uh, the, the the we're we're getting near the end here, folks. I promise you, <laughs> culminating and, and culminating with this this fourth show, uh, four full hours of talking about uh, barrels. It is a pretty big subject. Um, it is one of the things. Uh, I, I've gotten this question a lot. It's like, well, how do you fill a barrel? How do you empty a barrel? You know what? What what's what's the process there, and what what sort of things should I look for? Uh, you know, before you consider filling a barrel, you need to make sure, like I said earlier in the previous show, that you've uh, got the barrel sealed, fully sealed. If you don't, when you put your beer in there, hoping that that's going to seal the barrel is a giant mistake because it's just going to leak. So you want to seal it if you've if you've uh, sealed it with hot water. You want to make sure it's cooled down to the temperature of the beer or the temperature where you're going to store it. You don't want to put your beer into a hot barrel because it's going to heat it up. It's going to you know, start that process that you want. Uh, it's going to oxidize badly, uh, uh, yeah. Right. And you, get some, you could get some heat staling if it's, if it's uh, high enough temperature. So the barrel should be cool and sealed. You want to do clean transfers. Now, a, a lot of times people say, well, it's got bacteria and bread and wild yeast and all this stuff in it. It doesn't matter. You know, you be, be sloppy and nasty. You, you can't. You don't want to contaminate that beer with something else that uh, is an unwanted organism. You don't want to get Acetobacter in there. You don't want to end right. up with with something that's going to produce vinegar in your in your beer. Um, you don't want to leave a mess. Uh, if you spill outside the barrel and it gets on the ground, um, you're going to want to clean the ground up. You're going to want to clean the outside of the barrel. Uh, all the uh, you know the the sugars and proteins and all that stuff in a beer are going to start to. Uh, grow mold they can grow mold they can uh, attract insects um, they can grow more unwanted kinds of bacteria that could possibly work their way through the wood so you really don't want to do that either you once once you fill it you want to fill it carefully um, it's okay if it goes over the top but you're going to want to rinse that barrel off and make sure it's nice and clean you're going to want to minimize your o2 pickup it's not as critical as when you're you're bottling a, a beer or uh, you know trying to uh, you know uh, minimize oxygen pickup completely but 
you don't want to splash it and make a big mess. You want to, you know, if you're if you're a little bit cautious about it, you can flush the uh, the barrel with CO two or nitrogen, and then fill okay. it. Uh, you know, fill from the bottom up. But generally, if you fill quietly from the bottom up, um, you're fine. You'll pick up some oxygen, but um, especially if you, well, let me put it this way: if you're putting in a a beer without active organisms yeasts and bacteria and things like that to consume the oxygen then you want to be much more careful in filling the barrel if i'm uh, taking my robust porter and putting it in a barrel um i don't want to splash that around because i'm going to get too much oxidation you want to minimize the oxidation on something like that if i'm taking my sour and i've got brett and uh, uh you know uh, lactobacillus and, and pediococcus all active and uh, I, I add it, they're going to quickly consume that extra oxygen. The other beer, the clean beer, in that case, it's just going to be some oxidation, some staling that's going to happen. There's going to be something that happens anyways, but you don't want to rush it and you don't want to overdo it. So you need to be careful, more careful on, on clean beers like that. I've got a question. Uh-huh. What what are you using to actually fill the barrel? I mean, are you using a Blickman beer gun? Or are there other commercial products available that do this job? Or do you have to make your own from the uh, hardware store? They have barrel fillers. Um, uh, they have barrel fillers and uh, barrel beer extractors. They call them bulldogs. Uh, so okay. it's got a... Um, uh, you know, a stainless pipe that goes down to the bottom. Usually there's a pin in there that holds it just a little bit off the bottom for when you're taking your your liquid back out. It can leave the lees on the bottom. Um, and then uh, they'll have a, a way to – a bung that screws in, and then you can pressurize it and force the beer back out, or you can uh, use it to add beer in. Um you could use almost anything. You could use you know a piece of copper pipe or a piece of stainless pipe or even plastic tubing. Uh, you, what you want to do is just reach to the bottom of the barrel and start filling from there, and then you know uh, fill from the bottom up. Like I was saying, um, you want to be fairly gentle um, because if you splash it, not only do you pick up oxygen, but you're getting a lot of protein forming in uh, foaming in. Uh, in a, uh, oh, right. a a beer, and um, so that can make it difficult to to get the barrel all the way full. You'll have to foam all that stuff out of there. Um, it's better just makes a mess. Yeah, yeah it makes a mess. Um, it's some of your head forming protein, so it's better to to fill it slow and and carefully. Uh, you want to use non carbonated beer, of course, but. Just keep in mind that beer has carbonation in it all the time. Uh, just, you know, uh, even when it's still, it's got a tiny bit. So um, just be careful, especially right after fermentation. It's got, a, you know, it's super saturated at the, the temperature it's at um, and pressure it's at. So uh, that can come out, too. So you just want to wait and uh, let that let that pass. Um, I believe in not putting fruit in the barrels. I, when I started out, I put fruit in the barrels, and I've completely changed uh, off of that. I think uh, um, 
even a rare barrel they were they were putting fruit in and i think they changed on it too um the easier way to do it in the the better way um that i think gives you better fruit character is to what we do is we uh just put the beer in the in the in the barrels and when the beer's right we will ferment the fruit in a in a stainless fermenter right and then, and, and fruit will ferment out in a day with all the fructose just, it slams through really quick. You can either just transfer the beer into the fruit and the, the bread and bacteria and all that will, will ferment that. But if you've got like a clean beer that you want to do, um, again, you could ferment out your fruit with O1 or whatever and then transfer your beer in to mix with that. And that tends to, in my experience, gives you a better fruit character, um, you know, more fruit character with less fruit. If you just put the fruit in the barrel, it's going to, you're going to end up with almost no fruit character. It takes forever. Uh, I think Cantillon, Russian River, all these places, what they're using is this method of put the, the fruit in the stainless, transfer the barreled beer to the stainless, they let it ferment in there, and then they package what I'm saying is you can ferment it first and then transfer in. Um, okay, yeah, that cuts down having to clean the barrels, like you say, afterward, right, too. Right, and you don't end up with nearly the mess. and Because uh, once you put the fruit in, it'll ferment and ferment quickly, and it will blow out, and you're just going to have a big, giant mess. And a lot of the fruit will come back out. Uh, you, you just don't want to deal with that. You really don't want to ferment in the barrel. Uh, while there is some yeast activity and bacteria activity going on in the, in the souring, you do your initial ferment um, in in stainless. Uh, in stainless, you know, with like a, a, a Belgian ale yeast. Then you mix in your brat and your bacteria. Then you transfer all that, you know, to the uh, uh, barrels. I'd let the, the majority of the yeast cake drop out. You don't want to transfer all that yeast in there. If you have a lot of yeast in your barrels, you're going to get a lot of that meaty, uh, autolyzed kind of character in there. So you don't want that. Topping up barrels, um, I think Russian River, their process is to top it once after like a month, and then they don't top it anymore. Um, certain things we top and certain things we don't. Uh, we generally don't do much topping at all anymore. Uh, of course, we don't get a whole lot of evaporation. Uh, it's going to depend on the beer. So if you have something that you're trying to minimize oxidation and it's a um, you know a clean beer, I would go ahead and keep it topped up. Um, you know, just keep some beer in a in a stainless container and just use that to top it up you know it may, it may be a liter every couple of weeks um or maybe you know a liter every couple of months and so you just use that to top it up if it's a sour beer i don't think you really need to it's better almost not to disturb it uh than it is to top it okay yep yeah rely on the pellicle yes right and it's better not to disturb that All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, we will continue with uh, storing barrels or how you store them once they're they're full and where where you're going to put them right after this. 
Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking... Barrels and all the barrel-y stuff that you need to do. I, th- I think if you download all four of these episodes, you should know a lot more about barrels and using barrels than, than you ever did before. Um, at least enough to get you started and to, to do it properly, either homebrew scale or commercial scale. Man, if only there were a barrel and uh, you know mixed fermentation-themed show on the Brewing Network. It would right. be awesome to do an, an even deeper dive into this. Yes. Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe maybe one day there will be. Um, all right, storing. Uh, so once you got your 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 tasty beer or spirits or whatever in there, um, you know, keep in mind that the temperature at which you store these things uh, will uh, affect your final product. So every what ten, do you recommend? Well, I, I, I recommend. Never exceeding 20 degrees C. This is like a standard across Belgium, and I think everybody follows it. It's about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. And that's that's a, a decent temperature. If it, if it was warmer than that, uh, some of the processes tend to go faster. You, you get more you know, acetic acid. Uh, like in all things, uh, warm uh, temperatures accelerate uh, these processes. So every 10 degrees C doubles the rate of staling. It can double the rate of uh, you know some of these compounds being developed. Um, and you, you just generally don't want to. In between 10C and 20C is kind of the, the sweet zone, which is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit and 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so it's, a, you know, it's like a good general warehouse temperature. Uh, you never want to freeze or anything like that. Um, and People go, okay, so I should put it exactly at, you know, uh, X temperature. No, not necessarily. You want to have some variance in your in your temperature. It's, it's part of the natural process that uh, tends to favor, you know, some organisms over another. It tends to, uh, you know, make the wood, you know, uh, open up and close. So uh, let's the beer breathe a bit. Yeah, uh, gives it gives it some uh, some change. Uh, humidity, uh, 
you know, if you're in a higher humidity location, like if you're in Florida or something like that, uh, the higher the humidity is going to favor more alcohol evaporation. Uh, and lower humidity is going to favor water loss. So if you're in a high humidity area, the ABV of your product is going to go down. And if you're in a lower humidity, your ABV is going to go up. Um, it's more for really for spirits, but uh, I imagine it could affect uh, you know a substantial beer some way. Generally, beers, especially in the U.S., it's not, not that much of an issue. Um, um, and, oh, high humidity, we were talking about mold earlier, uh, can encourage the growth of mold. So generally you don't want to do a lot of high humidity, especially high humidity and warm, uh, can, can be a bit of a mess. So as far as losses, if it's high temp and low humidity, um, you know, you can see maybe a liter a week, uh, disappearing. Uh, I, I did a, uh. A barrel uh, thing for the NHC one year, and uh, I did it more beer. And the only place to store the barrels was up in uh, up high on one of the pallet racks at the top of the pallet racks during the summer. And it must have been 110, 120 degrees up there, and I was losing uh, you know a couple of liters a week out of that barrel. So that that can that can really uh, uh, eat away at some some uh, of your liquid. Um, if How you long are, do you normally store your barrels for? Well, it depends on the product. So, you know, when we're doing sour beers, we will do, you know, a minimum of a year and then, um, you know, generally two years. Uh, sometimes we'll go to three, uh, but around three we tend to start culling those out, and uh, we like to do use a blend of like one and two year old uh, sour uh, to make our sours. Um, if you're doing something like a bourbon barrel aged or something like that, I used to believe in not going past like six weeks or you know two months uh, because. Um, you started getting extracting more of these, uh, you know, other flavors, these oaks and things like that. Especially in like a one, you know, a, a, bur- a bourbon barrel. That's the only, you know, it's its first use. Um, and I was worried about, you know, contamination things like that. But if you have a, a clean a fill of those barrels, what I found is if you leave it in there for like a year. You will extract some of those those wood flavors, those tannins and those things. But there's a whole range of things in between just putting it in for four weeks and getting mostly just bourbon versus putting it in for, you know, 11 more months and you are extracting out, you know, some of those wood flavors, those caramels and some other things through there. You are picking up a little bit of oxidation. Um, those intangibles you're kind of looking for in the first place, really. Absolutely. And uh, so what we'll do now is we'll, we'll store it for a year. Um, I've gone to two years on some of these. And then we keep... Um, uh, you know, unbarreled beer in stainless, and we use that to blend back because it can be an overwhelming barrel character, and you've kind of lost the beer character by that time. But you add back some of the unbarreled beer, and you can dial it in to just, you know, really 
fantastic. And so that's the way. What do you store the sun barreled beer in? uh, Sankey kegs or uh, or steel tanks? We'll store them in kegs and then put them in a coal box. Or sometimes we'll brew the beer again and then use that. Use fresh beer that way. I like using the same beer from the same batch. I don't know why. I think, um, you know, that beer changes over time as well, even though it's stored cold in in kegs. Um, But. Mm-mm. You know, it's 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 one of those things that uh, time in the barrel can be very advantageous as long as you know things haven't it hasn't become contaminated and things are going in the wrong direction. Um, let's see here. Uh, one of the things we're talking about clean barrels and, and sour barrels. Um, if you have a clean fermentation barrel, you shouldn't put it anywhere near the the sour fermentation barrels. Um, you, you want to keep a distance, you know, 10 feet, 3 meters uh, at least between them because uh, it has been shown that when barrels are in racks, uh, Britannomyces will travel from barrel to barrel. Um, apparently, it, it gets through the wood to the outside, dries. Uh, becomes dusty, a little puff of wind, and now it's on the next barrel, and then it kind of works its way in and gets inside. Um, so by keeping your your clean barrels and your sour barrels separate, in our place they're two completely opposite sides of the warehouse, so there there's you know 150 feet between them and walls, and uh, uh, so that's one of the things. The thing that always bothers me about this is, while there's brett and uh, you know bacteria in the air, in the dust, and it travels with the dust, and so that's also landing on the barrel. And how that doesn't get in and, and cause a problem, I don't know. So beats me, but uh, I've been told <laughs> from good authority that uh, you know the barrels will you know contaminate each other if they're they're close. So we keep them separate. Um, also, uh, you know, if you're going to stack barrels, if you have a, a bunch of barrels, uh, the, the lower you stack them is always safer and you want to use, you know, proper racks, uh, metal, you know, like Western square racks, people, you can, you can chalk them with wood and build stacks and people do that, but they're really hard to, you move know, around. move around and get empty. Right. Um, uh, so, the lower the stack, the better. Whiskey barrels, uh, you know, they're they're weaker. They're much thinner than wine barrels. Uh, we set a, a, a four stack limit, and generally try and not exceed three uh, on the on the whiskey barrels. Uh, wine barrels are much stronger. Uh, I know places that stack them to, to six. I think. Uh, um, uh, um, That'd be really high. I mean, how do you right. get them down from there? Uh, with a forklift. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm losing my mind here. Um, the brewery down in uh, Los Angeles, they, uh, I believe they were stacking six high at one time. Um, but, you know, five is, is much better. Um, even five, man, it's, it's, it's up there. But, you know, the barrels are, are quite strong. So we 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 tend to to stack you know three on the on the whiskey barrels and five on the wine barrels. And again, the lower you do it, the safer it is. If you don't stack any, 
That's the safest because the stack's never going to fall. Um, and if you're doing it, you got to make sure the alignment's just perfect because a little bit of misalignment. If you're off to one side, you haven't, you know, it's kind of kind of crooked, and you're building a stack and you're not paying attention, and you build a five high stack that's slowly but surely going over to one side uh, becomes very dangerous. So you just need to be uh, careful of that. It's always nice to have a spotter to tell you exactly that it's perfectly lined up. And, uh, you know, that's that's one way to go. Um, Pests, what you'll find is uh, if you you have a lot of stacks, I mean, at at Heretic we had, you know, 500 wine barrels, uh, made quite a serious stack. And, you know, people aren't going through there. A lot of, you'll find a lot of pests. So, one, you'll find, uh, you know, if you spilled any beer or there's any uh, aroma of beer or alcohol coming from the barrels, you can find fruit flies. You also start finding spiders. You start to, those, those borer beetles will also be a problem. Um, you want to keep your doors closed. You can use bug bug traps and, and zappers. One a really effective bug trap is... Uh, to use a mason jar and take one of those little clear uh, plastic funnels, drop that in there, and then um, you know cut it so you just have the cone part there, and you you fill it with uh, you know an ounce or two of uh, apple cider vinegar, a couple drops of soap, um, the lemon scented dish soap I think works best, oh. and then uh, that makes it an effective bug trap. Uh, you can just put tape around the the cone of the the funnel around the the opening of the mason jar and you got yourself a very effective bug trap i used uh um uh, cup holders those those cup holders that hang on the edge of a door uh from walmart and just hung them on the barrel racks and those worked really well uh you can get uh you know ultraviolet bug zappers they work fairly good uh but not as good as the traps and then, uh, uh, you know, leave your spiders alone. Let them in there. They will do a lot of cleanup work for you, and they can take out a lot of uh, uh, bugs. Um, I have even seen uh, larger larger life forms stalking my, my barrel racks. I found, a, like, a lizard that was must have been a good foot long. Uh, <laughs> scurrying around in there. At first, I saw the tail. I thought it was a rat, but it was a uh, it was a big old lizard that uh, was feasting on maybe the spiders or what. So we had a whole ecosystem uh, rocking there. I thought it was pretty pretty <laughs> awesome. I really enjoyed it. All right, let's uh, take another short break, and when we come back, uh, we can talk about uh, uh, tracking your 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 products and sampling them right after this. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking barrels and barrel stuff. Yep, we've filled them. We've talked stacking and storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you keep track of these buggers? Good you point. Just put numbers on them? Uh, yeah, I mean, one way you put numbers on them, um, we had a, a little clipboard. We'd use a little clipboard, and we'd we'd embed a uh, little eye hook in 
in one edge of the uh, of the barrel, and then use like a paper clip to hang our our little clipboard on it, and we'd have. You know the ID of the barrel. We'd have you know the the size, what was in it, when it was filled, what type of beer, and then we'd have you know notes for uh, any additions, any tasting notes, things like that. Um, when you when you start getting a bunch of them, and even if you only have a few, I think it's nice to to do an electronic spreadsheet and you know track the barrels over their lifetime. So if you have a barrel that everything turns out really good in it i would keep track of that barrel keep notes on it um you know if you're if you're a commercial brewer uh you actually need to label every barrel with a a fermentation vessel number is required and its capacity so you need to have that on there um uh, that's a federal thing uh yes every every fermentation vessel is required to have um, uh, an ID number, okay. and it, it has to be it has to match your your logs, your tracking. So you have to have these logs. Um, we did log sheets for every barrel, like I said, and then um, uh, it was an easy way of tracking right there when you're tasting, seeing what was in there, and then also uh, you know completing your logs for for federal and state uh, requirements. Um, Sampling is another thing that that uh, people tend to to ask about. Um, you know, first off, you know, when do you sample? Uh, you know, generally we would do something around you know monthly or you know initially after a couple of months, and then uh, you know as time goes on and it's developing, maybe a little more frequently. Um, you know. There's generally not a lot of harm in, in sampling more as long as you're not contaminating your barrel uh, and you're not drinking the entire you know product before it's ready. So uh, you need to um, uh, you know kind of moderate that. But usually for the first three months, not a whole lot is happening. I mean, something happens almost immediately, and then it's nothing happening and then it starts you start to notice more development in the beer or or spirits whatever you have uh so that's sampling times um the way to sample and it's very important that you know whatever you sample you're not introducing contamination and that um you're not transferring contamination from barrel to barrel if you don't think if you think every barrel's clean, that's fine. But if you're using something like a thief, you uh, you need to make sure you're sanitizing that between barrels, uh, so you're not you're not causing any uh, cross contamination. A thief is nice; they have curved ones, things like that that can get in through the bung even in, when the barrels are stacked. If you don't have them stacked, they're super easy to use. They have some nice glass ones; they have plastic ones, fairly cheap. Uh, the advantage to that is you can get samples faster. You can get larger samples faster. Um, you know, the Vinny nail is, is something a, a lot of people started using, and those those work fairly well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a slower sample, depending on the size of the nail you use. Um, you know, with a thief, you, you don't have the nail to drop. You don't have to pound the nail back in. 
Um, and you'd use those with removable bungs, the silicone bungs, right? Yes, yes. Just pop the bung off, and then you can reach in. And it also gives you a chance to check how, how full the, the barrel is. Uh, the nice thing about the Vinny nail is it doesn't disturb the pellicle, right? Because you do it in the, the lower third of the, of the barrel head. Uh, what, what a Vinny nail is, is it's, a, it's a stainless nail. You you drill a size just about the the same size as the diameter of the nail. You s- smooth shank stainless nails. Um, what uh, what Vinny was uh, advocating using, or what he was using, he wasn't advocating. He was like, "This is what I use." Um, he used a four a four penny uh, smooth shank stainless nail, which was point one oh nine inch uh, in diameter, or two point seven six eight six millimeter. Took a seven sixty fourth inch hole, so you drill the hole first, and then you just tap in the nail with with uh, the hammer, and you pull it out with a pair of channel locks, and always keep some spare nails in your pocket, because at one point in the stack you'll end up dropping your nail, and then you'll be standing there with your finger on a hole, yelling for somebody to come and bring you a nail. Uh, <laughs> so you want to carry some some nails with you. So it just depends um, on what your need is. Uh, you know, if you, uh, that's a, a fine way to do it. If you've only got a couple of barrels and they're not stacked, um, I would just go with the thief. Um, it's it's just easier, quicker. If you've got them stacked, it can be tricky to get the thief in and out, and you know, it can make more of a mess. Uh, the vin nail will make a mess too. I mean, you have to stand there ready with a cup. Pull the nail out, catch it. Sometimes uh, something will block the hole, and then you know it'll dribble down the front. Sometimes it'll come shooting out if there's a little bit of back pressure on it. Uh, so you got to catch that, and then keep the cup there while you put the nail back in and get the nail in, uh, and then you can minimize the amount of mess that that occurs. Uh, so. Uh, you know, two two good ways. Um, the important thing is again not to c- contaminate your your um, your goods with uh, your sampling because that would be the worst. And then um, let's see, how about barrel harvesting? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so once everything's tasting good and you've you've tasted all the barrels that uh, you know you you think you're gonna you're gonna work with, uh, my my preference, you know, the classic way is, oh, you know, taste this and blend this with this and, you know, t- try blends of everything. Um, and, and I find that that's okay, but if a barrel doesn't taste good, don't include it in the in the, in the yeah. operation. If it's questionable, Makes sense. Yeah. If, you're, if you're getting, uh, you know, hints of... Uh, uh, sourness in a barrel. Don't blend it in with the other barrels that don't taste sour because you're going to, you know, contaminate the whole thing. Uh, so uh, my my point is always just discard any questionable barrels. Just just toss them. Um, sometimes uh, you know you toss the, the contents. You can go ahead and you know clean it out, pasteurize it, start again. If the same barrel, this is where your barrel log comes in handy. If the same barrel is producing bad results time after time after time just strike that from your fleet you know just give it away turn it into a plant or whatever you might do mm-hmm. yeah yeah but as you've said before in other shows you know uh the cost of not dumping a batch is your reputation 
Right, exactly. And and if you know if a, if a barrel doesn't taste good, you know, let's say it's not contaminated or anything, but it's you know it's rough. You're and then you you say stuff. Well, if I blend it in, you know that'll get hidden. It's like, well, yeah, but you're making the whole thing a little bit more rough. Maybe not a lot rough, but a little bit more rough, and you're you're taking away from you know, whatever you know the quality of that beer. So generally, my rule is if it doesn't taste good on its own, it doesn't go into the blend. Um, one thing that we do is, and maybe this might be hard for homebrewers, is we'll lab test all our clean beer batches. So anything that's in a barrel that isn't supposed to have brett, bacteria, all that, we'll uh, do some HLP testing or some PCR testing uh, to make sure that the barrel isn't contaminated uh, before we blend it in. Anything that comes back positive, that can be used for something else if it tastes good, but it never goes into the blended product. Um, especially because, you know, if you're going to add fruit or something like that, you can have exploding cans or uh, exploding bottles. Not good. Uh, let's see here. Uh, before packaging, you're going to want to ensure that what what you're putting in the package is completely attenuated. So if you're adding fruit to the sour, you got to give enough time to make sure it's fully fermented out. Um, make sure that uh, you know any sugars or anything you're adding are, are not going to um, you know cause overcarbonated package. Um, you know any any time you're adding something, uh, the the ones that have sat in the barrel for you know a year, they should not have anything to ferment again unless you add sugar to them or something like that. Uh, How do you determine that? Do you do a like a forced fermentation, or you, you right. take a sample and agitate it? Right, night? you can you can do a forced fermentation uh, to see where it should have ended up. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's there's still some yeast in in those beers, and they will continue to ferment very very slowly in the barrel. And um, uh, you know, you should be at your terminal by then. Uh, shouldn't shouldn't often shouldn't be a problem unless you if you're adding back fresh yeast and sugar and stuff like that just be careful uh, you know maybe run a force test on that uh, before you do the whole batch and overcarbonate it or undercarbonate mm-hmm. um, okay. the f- fruit additions like I mentioned before I like to do them in stainless and you know then transfer the barrel beer to the vessel uh, you know let it ferment uh, then let it settle out. And uh, you know, decant, take the the liquid off the top, the the fruit material, let it settle to the bottom, and then uh, you can transfer it to another tank and do your carbonating or uh, uh, or your your bottle dosage can can go in then. All right, um, and then uh, moving and handling. All right, so. <clears throat> Empty barrels, you can uh, put them on a hand truck. Uh, maybe you've seen this. You, you flip them up on their their edge on the of the barrel, and then you can roll them. And that's why the way they do them around wineries. If once you've done it for a while, you get pretty good at it, and you can move them pretty fast. You tilt it like about a not quite a forty five degree angle. Um, 30, 35. Yeah, something like, you know, you, it's sitting on its head end. You just tilt it a little bit to the side, and then you just start start spinning it, and it rolls. And then once you get it rolling, you can just keep hitting it and, uh, you know, 
using your hands to kind of guide it, and you can turn and go wherever. Some of these guys get really good at it, but it's a quick, easy way of moving barrels. It's easier than than a hand trick, if you ask me. Mm. Uh, when they're full, uh, you're going to move them using uh, racks. So they need to be in a rack. Um, there's uh, Western Squares, a real common type of metal rack. That can be pallet jacked or can be forklifted. And uh, with a pallet jack, you can move a stack, uh, three or four high, of full barrels, uh, surprisingly. Uh, just a little manual pallet jack from, like, Harbor Freight. Mm. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you can uh, use a sling uh, to move a barrel, uh, but it's it's always better to move them in the rack. It's much safer. Uh, the The issue you end up with is sometimes you'll have only one barrel barrel in a rack that's full, and uh, if you pick it up, um, it can be difficult to move or to stack. Because um, uh, it's you know unbalanced, and if you pick it up with a, like a pallet jack, it flips one way or the other. Um, so one of the things you can do is is um, I've used um, they have special lifting straps for these that have uh, hooks that kind of hook into the the head ends and lift on that edge and lift it that way. Um, I've used. Um, Ratchet straps. I've used um, lifting straps from Harbor Freight, and uh, you just put them around the the body of the barrel, two of them, and then over the forks on a forklift, and then uh, you know very carefully you can lift it up. <laughs> I wouldn't drive very far with it, but you can do it that way. Um, uh, you know, using this this sling sling method, uh, you know, because a full barrel. You're talking about uh, you know sixty gallons of uh, of, of beer. And you're that's going to be you know what two hundred and forty pounds, two hundred fifty yeah. pounds, and then the barrel itself is you know seventy five to a hundred. Um, you know, and you're going to be you know three hundred twenty five pounds, four hundred pounds. You know, almost uh, with uh, just just for the barrel. Um, it is possible for four people to make a short move on a barrel, <laughs> uh, two on each end. And then, uh, you know, we've picked them up and, and set them into another rack. We've done that. But, um, uh, you know, the sling is probably, I got to admit, is, is easier. It's a little more time to set up. Uh, but uh, it is possible to move them by hand. Just be careful. Uh when you get past a stack of three high, it does start to get very difficult to move a stack and much more challenging. You won't be able to move a five stack or a six stack. You'll have to de-stack and then move them. So keep that in mind. Uh, if you keep them all at three stack, it's super easy to move things around with a pallet jack. Um, and let's see, uh, strapping uh, improves stability. If if you want to, if if you got a, one of the things about racks and and the barrels is, barrels come in different shapes and sizes. It, you want to put two of the same barrel on a rack. Um, you don't want to take a different manufacturer, a different type of barrel, and put those on the back on the, on one rack because well you can, but you want to make that your top rack. You can't stack on top of that. Because it'll it'll lean to one side or another. 
So you need them to be the same diameter barrels and be the same diameter at the same point on the barrel uh, so that uh, if you want to stack another set of barrels on top of it. One of the things you can do is ratchet strap the barrels to the rack. Um, you can ratchet strap a stack of barrels too. And what this does is just puts a little more tension and a little more stability to that rack. Uh, so if you've got a lot of moving to do, um, you know that's that's another way to handle it. Um, Are there any OSHA requirements? Um, you know for for stacking or for securing? Are they they just assume that that stack is stable on its own. Yeah, I don't know of any specific requirements for that. Um, you know, most of those requirements are like for lighting and uh, uh, you know safety and, and things like that. And the the racks have been around and been used for a long time. They there's wineries where they just use chunks of wood and they stack oh. the barrels on top of each other and chunks of wood and. If it's done right, it's nice and stable. If it's not done right, I mean, it could be a, a tragedy. Um, yeah. One of the things that we have in California is, you know, concern about um, earthquakes. Earth- yeah. So there are earthquake-proof rackings, but, you know, they're extremely expensive. Uh, but they have those as well. Uh, you know, one of the things you can do is just don't stack it very high. Uh, you know, the lower you stack it, the safer it is. You know, that's mm-hmm. always one of my my key points to that okay well and uh what else what else have we not talked about in in these four episodes of barrels <laughs> ah yeah we've covered we've covered different styles of beer that go well with barrels we've right. talked about right sour versus non-sour uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. woods right um filling emptying yes, yes. flavor development Flavor development, storing, sour beer yeah. design, multi beer design, uh, the barrel types, mm-hmm. the barrel sourcing. I suppose well, there's barrel nothing left to do but to wait for the questions to come in. Right. We could That's do a nice. quest a barrel Q and A show in the future. We probably could. Um, but that's that's you know kind of the nuts and bolts of working with barrels and uh, you know. I believe that's enough information in there to get people started and to do quite well. Um, I mean, it's, it's worked for me over the years. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of this was learned from a lot of other breweries and, and people and also from experimenting. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I think I think it's a good, healthy uh, four-hour – see, even, even uh, Scott's clapping. He's so happy. <laughs> I'm it, trying it, to start a slow it, clap, but no one's clap, joining yeah. in. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a fruit fly in the area too. Right. Unrelated. Unrelated fruit fly. <laughs> the fruit fly was just listening in and Scott tried to kill him. The, they're particularly interested in this show for some reason. Particularly, right. Um yeah, so um you know, that's that's the uh Oh, I'll give one other tip that I don't think I mentioned anywhere in the show is when we're talking about bungs. If the bung should come out and you find out later on, it's like you come back the next day and you're like, oh, my God, this bung is out. Just put the bung back. Worry about it later, right? Just you put it in there. 
maybe or maybe not something happened. Uh, even if you see fruit flies around there, sometimes they don't go in. They, you know, there's enough vapor coming out that they don't go into the into the barrel, or they're interested in something else. Just put the bung back in, and then just see what happens. Yes, okay. it, it could end up being, you know, a bunch of vinegar later on down the road. Well, that's all right. You know, at that point, you you dump it and you and you flush it and, and go on with your life. But don't assume just because the bung fell out that you've ruined your beer or your spirits. You know, you just put it back in and and hope for the best. So. While I'm, Dude, I'm adamant about throwing stuff away, I, you know, not until it's proven. Okay. Do you ever have problems with rats or mice around barrel rooms? No, not, not other than the giant lizard that I thought initially was a rat. Um, uh, I haven't seen any any mice around there. Um, okay. Of course, we tend to have them away from the walls, and all your mice and rats are going to stick to the walls. Or they, you know, they follow the wall as they travel around the building. You, you generally won't see them out in the open. They will only run along the path of the walls. So, mm-hmm. you know, we like every other brewery have traps there, and then we got traps outside. Um, they tend to um, go in the weirdest places. It's not like even they, they don't even go near the grain, or maybe we're trapping them before they get to the grain. We've caught over nine years, maybe. Five mice, and that's hmm. been it. You know, they're they tend to um, you, know, you put uh, your your poison traps outside. And they go out and they yeah. they come to the building because it's warm or cold or depending on what they need. And then they go, oh look, food on the way in. They eat that, and then they're they're dead somewhere. <laughs> and you, okay. you know, and then you use sticky traps to catch them. So we have a big field near us, but mm, we really don't have much of an issue. Okay. The trick good. is good good pest control. You know, yeah. hire a pest company and keep an eye on that. But um, you'll get mainly fruit flies and uh, spiders uh, with your barrels. And, okay. you know, one takes care of the other. It's, it's circle of life. So you you don't need Matata. to import lizards to patrol your barrel room then? <laughs> no, no. Okay. I don't know where that big-ass lizard came from, but it scared the daylights out of me. All I saw <laughs> was this giant slithering tail that looked... You know, kind of rat-like. Yeah. And then uh, I started chasing around and got down on my hands and knees and looked. I'm just like, oh, that's a lizard. That was a big-ass lizard. I'm like, all right, right, fine. We got lots of little ones outside the brewery. Um, Mm -hmm. But this was a big one. I'm like, dang. It was (laughs) bigger than that lizard over there. Um, (laughs) It was was probably two or three times that size. (laughs) That's huge. Yeah. It had a tail like this. Man. Yeah, usually you got to see uh, shows narrated by David uh, David Attenborough to see lizards that big. Right, right, or Crocodile Dundee type of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw my, my picture in my fine uh, presentation. Oh, no. Let's that was, see this. That was me, me wrangling the lizard. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's uh, almost person-sized. Right. And was, it you, you've never looked size. better, by the way. This must be from your younger years. No, no. This is this is maybe a year or two ago. <laughs> wow. I mean, what happened? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I opened a brewery. That's what the, what the hell happened. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so generally, I think uh, you know you're not going to get uh, mice or rats or anything like that. Especially if you maintain a clean floor, you're not spilling anything. Like I said, um, you want to keep the outsides of the barrels clean. Uh, the more you spill, the more insects you're going to get. So. I guess that wraps it up. Like you said, until the questions, uh, I think we're I think we're good. That's another another fine series of of knowledge we have imparted. Uh, if you enjoy this show, <laughs> make sure to you know check out all our fine sponsors. All those folks are paying money to uh, make this show possible. So uh, check them out. They're all you know all good folks, and especially our dear friend Mr. John Blickman. Uh, send him an email, uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. He actually set that email up just for us. So you could you could tell him how much you enjoy this show. Uh, and when you do, it makes him writing the check each month uh, much easier. So uh, keep doing it. And that way uh, uh, we'll, we'll still be on here and uh, giving you information like this. Uh, check out uh, all the other fine sponsors. Like I said, check out the BN store. Uh, the Ring Network, uh, lots of great shows, and if you like more barrel stuff, the uh, the Barrel Show. Yep, the Sour Hour is yeah. a show dedicated to just this sort of stuff, all things mixed fermentation, hosted by Jay Goodwin of the Rare Barrel. So check there us out. Go. There you go, another 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 fine product of the Brewing Network. Uh, till then, everybody, brew strong, brew strong, everyone. Brew strong.